is Tanakh Talks, the fun podcast where we talk about Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. My name is Yaakov Beasley, and for the next 15 minutes, I'll be your host. I'm the Tanakh coordinator, Yeshiva Hester Leva Torah in Ramat Beit Shemesh, Israel, and I've been teaching Bible in Israel and abroad for almost three decades. In our podcast, we'll be looking at the Tanakh from so many interesting perspectives, historical, religious, literary, modern, any way we can, all to get a better understanding of this amazing book of books, and hopefully become better people in return. Let's begin. Welcome to our very first podcast of Tanakh Talks. We're very excited to be doing this. I'm Yaakov Beasley, your host. So many exciting things happening in the world of Tanakh. Today I went to my favorite place in the world, of course, the bookstore. And what did I find? Four new books on Tanakh. Rav Yaakov Medan, the Rosh Hashiv of Gush, has just come up with a new book on Eov, the book of Job in Hebrew. Dr. Rabbi Yoni Grossman has done the same with the story of Jacob, Yaakov. There's a new book on Kings 2 by Rabbi Alex Israel by Magid Press, and I'm hoping to interview Rabbi Israel quite soon. As well, one of Yoni Grossman's books on Breshit has also been translated into English. There's a plethora of new books. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs just has his new books on Devarim, Deuteronomy come out. A lot of exciting things for people to read. Another exciting news, my publisher, Magid Press, has told me that my work on Nachum Chabachuk and Sefania, Lights in the Valley, will be out by the end of November, and I should be receiving the proofs, the final proofs, already in August, which is really very exciting. It's been a long time coming. Those of you who have been in my class for the past several years know that I've been talking about this book that's going to be coming out, coming out. It really has been a long time and very exciting to say within a couple months. So let's get started. first topic of the Tanakh Talks podcast is appropriately, what is Tanakh? The simple answer, of course, is that the word Tanakh refers to the books of the Bible, what Jews simply called Tanakh, the Bible, what Christians would call the Old Testament. Nowadays, in academic scholarship, there is a trend to call the books the Hebrew Bible. This is considered a more neutral, without less religious connotations way of describing the Bible. The word Tanakh is an acronym of the first Hebrew letter of each of the three traditional subdivisions of the Tanakh. Taf is Torah, referring to the five books of Moses. Nun for Nevim, the prophets. And Kuf, Tuvim, the writings. Hence, Tanakh. However, depending on who you ask, the number of books and the order of the books actually varies. For example, whereas we count 24 books in the Tanakh, the Protestants count 39, the Catholics somehow add a couple more and get to the number 46, Josephus and Ben Sira, who came before the time of the Mishnah in the first century of the Common Era, both of them count 22 books of the Tanakh. However, they cheat in a small little way. They combine the book of Shoftim, Judges, with Ruth, and they combine the book of Yermiahu, Jeremiah, with Echa Lamentations. 
So they actually have the same books we do. They just remove two by combining two of the books together. The earliest source that lists the books of the Tanakh in order actually differs from our order. The Brita in Talmud, Baba Batra, page 14, side B, lists the books as follows. It lists the books of the Torah as we know them. Breshit, Shmot, Vayikra, Bamidbar, Devarim, Genesis, Exodus, Vayikra, which is Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then lists the prophets as Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, like we do. But then Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and then the 12 minor prophets. We, of course, list them in chronological order, which is Isaiah, then Jeremiah, and then Ezekiel. The question is, of course, and the Talmud deals with this question, why is Jeremiah placed first? Because it wanted to place the Book of Kings, which ends on a really sad note, the destruction of the first temple, the first Beit HaMikdash, which is really the theme of Jeremiah as well. The Brita in the Talmud then lists the books of the writings, the books of Ketuvim as follows. First, Root, interestingly enough. Then, Tehillim, Psalms, Eov, Job, Proverbs. Then, Kohelt Ecclesiastes, Shirashirim, the Song of Songs, Lamentations, then Daniel, then the Scroll of Esther, Megillat Esther, then Ezra Nehemiah, and only at the end, like us, Divar Yamim, Chronicles. Apparently they chose to do it in what they believe to be the chronological order. We, of course, organize the books of the Ketubim differently. First we have the three wisdom books, what we call the Sifrei Emet, Emet being an acronym for Eov, Mishle, Tehillim, Job, Proverbs, Tehillim, Reversal, but implying that these three books all have to deal with wisdom, the search for truth, which in Hebrew is Emet. Then we have the five scrolls that are placed together, starting with the beginning of the year, Shira Shirim, then Rut, then Echa, Lamentations, then Kohelet, Ecclesiastes, and only then finally Esther. Finally, we put the three historical books of the Babylonian exile, the Persian restoration, and the rebuilding of the second Beit HaMikdash, Daniel, Ezra Nehemiah, and conclude with Divrei Yamim, the Book of Chronicles. Those are our 24 books in order. Let's take a little break, and then we're going to talk about the difference between the three sections, Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, what these differences actually mean. Welcome back. We've gone through the list of the books of the Tanakh and their order. Now we're going to look at the difference between the three sections, the book of Torah, the book of Nevi'im, Prophet, and the book of Ketuvim, the writings. Students often ask me and say, well, Rabbi, didn't God write the Bible? And of course, I always give them that look like it's not so simple. It's always a little bit more complicated. The only books that we attribute to God in the Jewish religious tradition are the five books of Moses, which are called such because they were dictated to Moshe Rabbeinu, to Moses, either at the mountain of Sinai or during the 40 years of the desert. There is a debate in the Gemara what how he could write the last eight verses. We'll talk about that at a later time. Both the book of Vayikra, Leviticus, and the book of Numbers, Bamidbar, 
in Vayikra 27.34, in Bamidbar, in Numbers, in 36.13, finish with the statement, either Elha Mitzvot Asher Tzivah Hashem at Moshe B'nei Yisrael B'har Sinai, these are the commandments that God gave at Har Sinai, or in Numbers, a little variant, Elah mitzvot b'mishpatim asher tzivah Hashem b'yad Moshe b'nei Yisrael b'arvot me'av al-yerden yerichau. These are the commandments and the laws that Hashem gave to Moshe to give to the Jewish people on the plains of Moab, across from the Jordan River and Jericho. From here, the Talmud learns explicitly, Elah dvarim, from these things, Ein navi rishai l'chadesh davar me'ata. No prophet, nobody who comes after the five books of Moses is allowed to introduce a new law and claim that it is binding. In fact, the one prophet who does seem to do so, Ezekiel, is actually almost taken out of the canon for his behavior. And the Mishnah in Shabbat describes how certain scholars wrestled and struggled with his message to see how could it stay in the text. Because it appeared at first glance, at a very simplistic reading, that Ezekiel Yechezkel is actually introducing new halachot into the canon. So we've demonstrated here a very clear reason, a necessity for a differentiation between Torah and Nach, the books of Torah and the prophet's writings, Nevi'im Ketuvim. The question is, is there actually a difference between the Nevi'im and Ketuvim? Here we come to a fascinating disagreement among several of the medieval scholars the person who exemplifies the first approach is Rabbi David Kimchi, of course, the French rabbinic commentator. And here is what he says in his introduction to the book of Psalms, the book of Tehillim. He bases himself of Maimonides' understanding of prophecy, which is written in the more Nebuchim, what is called in English, the Guide to Perplexed, section 2, paragraph 45, in which Maimonides, the Rambam, says that Nebuah, is a higher level than Ruach HaKodesh. Prophecy is a higher level than simple divine inspiration. That a prophet who receives a prophecy will receive it in a state where he is completely asleep without any of his faculties whatsoever. Whereas a person who is simply working with divine inspiration will be awake and be in control, but he just is inspired, as it were, to give this message over to the people. And that, says the Radak, is the difference between the books of the prophets, the Nevi'im, versus the books of the writings, the Ketubim. In other words, he bases it not on the content of the message, but rather on the level of the person receiving it. Therefore, even though Daniel can see visions and sights that appear to be like prophecy, he's not yet on that level. And therefore, the Talmud says that even though Daniel saw great visions, he acknowledged that the actual prophet were Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, whereas he himself was not a prophet. Against this understanding, however, we have the understanding of both the Me'iri in his introduction to Tehillim and Don Yisaka Barbanel in his commentary to the book of Daniel, chapter 3, verse 2. They both say that it is actually is not a question of the level of the person receiving it. And they say, if you look at what Daniel's seeing, clearly he's on a very as high level of spirituality as other people who are receiving prophecies. Rather, they say the question is in purpose or context. Nevi'im argues the Me'iri, these are books that are written by prophets who were specifically sent by God, by Hashem, to admonish the people. They were meant to teach the people to do something, to improve their ways, to warn them about what will happen if they fail to follow God's message. And the Ketubim, the writings, are simply works that contain advice, poetry, and history, even if the history is going to take place in the future, but not necessarily words of admonishment. In yeshiva thought, this would be termed a brisker chiluk, a distinction 
distinction made by the Brisker way of thinking, which distinguishes between the Chefsa or the Gavra. Is it a question of the actual object, the text itself, that is different? Or is it a question of the person, the Gavra, the level of the person? One interesting practical ramification of this argument would be whether or not if you have two books, one book of Navi, a book of prophets, and a book of Ketuvim, which one can go on top of the other? If they are on the same level of holiness, like the Miri argues, then either one can go on top of each other. This actually is written by the Ritfa, who writes that it doesn't matter whether a book is from the Devim or from the Ketuvim, one can go on top of each other. According to the Redox approach, however, which says that the books of the Navi, the prophets, are on a higher level of sanctity, then clearly they would always have to go on top. conclude with a very short thought today about the number 24, which we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast was the number of books in the Tanakh, the Jewish Bible. Rashi actually brings this number in his commentary to Exodus 31, verse 18. I'll read you the Hebrew and the English. He says there, Vayiten el Moshe kechaloto, remember that word kechaloto, to bahar sinai shnei luchot haidut, luchot evan when he, God, had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moshe, Moses, the two tablets of the testimony, stone tablets written with the finger of God. On the word, when he finished, the word to finish is actually written defectively. It's not written with a, it's missing a vav in the middle. And thereby can be read as because the Torah was given to Moshe the same way a bride is given to a chatan. Kala meaning not only to, meaning to finish, but also meaning a bride. He brings another explanation why this is true. Just as a bride is adorned with 24 ornaments, 24 different types of jewelry, so too for a person to be a Jewish scholar, he has to possess the knowledge of the 24 books of the Tanakh. The source for a bride having 24 pieces of jewelry is actually in Isaiah 3. Isaiah in chapter 3 speaks out against the pride, the haughtiness of Benot Sion, the daughters of Sion, how they walk with arrogance and the way they carry themselves. And therefore it says, By Yomahu Yasir Adonai, God will take away Etifert HaChasim Vedashvishim HaSharonim. And he goes on to list 24 separate pieces of jewelry. We see in this rabbinic thought, which appears in Shira Shirim Rabbah, the Midrash to Shira Shirim, chapter 4, that a scholar must have knowledge of 24 books of the Bible, and that this is, in fact, the number that was settled upon by the time it had reached the time of the Mishnah. That's it for today. Thank you very much for listening. For our next podcast, we will be dealing with the story of Joshua 2, Yoshua Bet. We will be talking about the sending of spies by Joshua to the city of Jericho, what he hoped to accomplish, whether or not he was successful. Tune in then. Thank you for listening to Tadak Talks.